As I was saying, sometimes I don't know how these things work, but then I sit back and say, I know how they work. It's, it's a God thing. So this morning as we gathered to pray in the back, um, we're sitting there talking and Janelle's like all fired up and it's like, okay, too many latte mocha, something's going on this morning or what? But now she's just fired up because like God's spirit's just moving through her. So she's like, woohoo. Actually, she's back in another coffee, so maybe that's what it was. I don't know. <laughs> so, but anyway, she's like super excited and then Rhonda, you know, comes up and and uh, I said, well, as we talk about giving, she's like, what? That, that's what I'm, I'm sharing about giving this morning. It's like, whoa. So he's like, all these things were like, everybody's like, hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're singing about. It's like, that's just cool how God works, right? So this morning, as we, I get ready to share this morning, um, no, nothing held back here. We're, we're going to talk about giving, okay? But here's the thing. It's not going to be maybe the thing you're probably thinking about right now. Because somebody, somebody starts up, the pastor gets up front and says, we're going to talk about giving today. It was like, oh, here it comes. Grab my wallet out so I don't feel guilty or whatever it may be, right? We're not going there, okay? Just bear with me. Because what we've been doing is we've been talking about defining Christianity. So if we were to take a poll this morning, I said, everybody, maybe get out a piece of paper and define Christianity. How would you define Christianity? I believe our definitions would differ greatly from one another, and I believe our definitions would differ from the original followers of Jesus Christ. Because we sit back and we say, well, what were the first Christians like? Well, actually, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called them followers of the way, that of Jesus Christ. You know, they didn't get the nickname Christians until later in history. But a lot of times we go back and we say, well, that's what Christians did, right? Well, they weren't, we didn't start calling ourselves Christians till later. And so we defined Christianity later in life, and now we have, in the 21st century, a whole different definition of what a Christian or who a Christian is. Matter of fact, they did a poll, and over 6 billion people on this planet, one-third of them say they're Christians. Now, let me ask you this. If that means a couple billion people on this planet are Christians, why is this place not different than what it is today? Because if we were truly like the followers of Jesus Christ with the disciples as they were, could you imagine two billion disciples of Jesus Christ on this planet? I don't think we would be where we are today in the darkness and the mess that we are if that was true Christianity. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what's a Christian. So we've been trying to define it. And to help us, we've used terminology, I'm going to say, similar to that of being part of a team. Everyone desires to be part of something, right? Little kids on the playground, I want to be on his team. I want to be on her team. Right? Some of you that work in groups at your offices or in your businesses or wherever you may be employed, you have a certain group of people that you work together with really well. And you're like, I want to be a part of that team. I want to, I want to function together with that group. You hear people say, well, I want to be a part of the band or I want to be in that gang. Yeah, that gang. We understand that relationships have value and we long to be connected in some kind of group or team or whatever it may be. So as we've talked about Christianity, we've used that terminology of being like part of a, a team. And uh, here's the thing that we've discovered is that a lot of people call themselves Christians, but they're not team players. They like the label, but they really don't want to be a part of what it takes to be a part of that team. And I use the example that just because you're wearing a jersey doesn't mean you're on the team. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Being a Christian is more than just being religious. 
Being a Christian is more than just showing up on occasion in a relationship. Being a Christian is more than just checking a box on a survey that says, are you a Christian or not? There's commitment. Matter of fact, Dan, I'm going to ask you to do something out of the normal. The second song we sang, can you put that up on the screen? There was, we were singing this song, and I'm sitting there singing, this is a song that Christians sing, right? And um, there was certain a lyric in there, and I felt like, ooh, okay. As we look the next, next slide, let me see if we'll get to it here. Next slide. Next slide. Maybe this isn't the song I was thinking. Next song. Second song. I'm sorry, the second song. This was the first of that set. Okay, next slide. Oh, he's stopped right there. Over that back. That was right. There it is, right there. Okay. Look at this. Just We just sang this. That's what Christians do. Christians get together and we sing songs, right, of worship. But here's what I was, as I was singing, I'm sitting there going, but see, here's what I'm talking about. We sing the songs, but do we mean it? I'm falling on my knees. What? Offering what? What's that next word? All of me. Do we truly offer all of us, of ourselves? I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. You got me, God. You got everything. Okay. What I'd like you to do is, oh, I can't do it on that day, though, God. Well, okay. Well, how about if you can't? No, I can't do that either, God. Didn't you just say you're offering all of yourself to me? Well, what I meant by that is when it's convenient for me, I will give some of myself to you, God. Check it off. I'm a Christian. That's what I'm talking about. Today's Christianity, the way we define it, I don't think we fully understand it. I don't fully understand it. So I'm trying to grasp it myself and say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Thanks, Dan. So our commitment means we're choosing to be a part of something bigger than us. Do we really understand what it means to be a part of God's family? I want to be a part of that. And being a Christian doesn't... Here's the thing. Being a Christian doesn't revolve around my faith and my world. Right? Because a lot of people say, well, what do you believe? What do you believe? As if it's our faith. It's not our faith. I don't own it. And what I mean by that is, it's not... What I believe that makes truth. It's the fact that there is truth and I believe it. It's not my faith, it's God. And I place my faith in Him. So when people say, well, what do you think about this? What do you believe about this? My opinion that's about ready to come out of my mouth and my faith better match up with truth. Otherwise, it's my world. And that's dangerous because now I define Christianity on what I'm feeling that day. So that strong foundation, that firm truth is where I place my faith. And so if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm believing in truth and my faith is placed in the one and only center of this universe. And that is God, God Almighty. It's not about me. It's about a holy God. A just God who loves me, who became flesh to his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place to take the punishment so that I wouldn't have to. So that I can have a personal relationship with the one and only God of this world, of this existence. And here's the thing. As I say it, I'm going to say it a couple more times. It's not about me. It's all about God and being a part of his family, his kingdom, his team. However you want to define that last phrase. And, and when, so when we talk about giving, 
Here's the thing. I can't talk to you and I can't talk to myself about giving until I get things into perspective. As soon as I understand it's not about me, then I might be able to fully understand a little more about what it means to give. It's not about me. It's about my commitment to be a part of something bigger than me. Think about what we're saying here. How big is it to be a part of God's kingdom? How incredible is that? What would you do to be a part of God's kingdom? What would you believe in order to be a part of God's kingdom? How far would you go to say, it's not about me, it's about God, and I want to be a part of that so badly? I thought it was interesting, I read this, um, Daniel Craig. Anybody know who Daniel Craig is? He's an actor. He's the James Bond. So, gentlemen, you should know this, okay? Because see, growing up, there's, only, there's a few people I wanted to be. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, I wanted to be James Bond, and I wanted to be one of the three musketeers, okay? I wanted to save the day in one of those ways, okay? So, matter of fact, when I was, you know, and I joked about this, we were talking about it last week at home, I said, I think I went to see Return of the Jedi three times. Um, I know, right? And with three different girls. How's that? <laughs> of course, my son was like, who, your mom, your sister, and your aunt? <laughs> I was like... Am I allowed to say shut up in church? That's fine. Um, but it was like, yes, I went three different times, and it wasn't, okay, I'm not, I wasn't like your typical high school guy, okay? Even though I had the nicknames and all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. It was like, I think, it's like, what are you trying to hold my hand for? Luke Skywalker's about ready to win the day. You know, it's like, I didn't care who was with me. I just wanted to go see it, and I needed an excuse to go. So I was like, hey, you want to go see a movie? Yeah, okay, Return Jedi. Huh? Yeah, anyway. So I wanted to be the hero, right? Don't we want that? So here's the thing. Daniel Craig, who's the, been James Bond for the last decade, okay? He can be any role he wants, right? He's a superstar actor. But he wanted to be in the new Star Wars movie. He was, he's like, I just want to be a part of something big. This is big in history. It's big to be a part of. Like, I just, you know, I want to be a part of Star Wars. And so they said, sure, you can be a part of Star Wars. Here's the role he got. He was a stormtrooper. Now, if you don't know anything about this movie, basically, he is one of hundreds of people who put a helmet on and a uniform, and nobody knows who he is. These are just like backup people running around in the background and getting shot or just running around, right? We have no idea who Daniel Craig is in this movie, and he's James Bond, right? He's the big actor. But he understood this. It wasn't about him. He just wanted to be a part of something big. And I thought about that, and I thought, hmm, could that... Same thing be said about myself. To be a part of God's kingdom is huge. Am I willing to take a back seat, not have to be in the spotlight or up front, and just say, I just want to be a part of God's kingdom. God, what role have you given me? What do you want me to do in your kingdom? I will embrace whatever role you give me, whether it's doing something where everybody sees or whether it's behind the scenes. God, what do you want me to do? I just want to be a part of something big. I thought about that. So I asked myself that, and I asked you that. Can we, can we do what we do for God's kingdom and give him all the glory and say, it's not about me, right? right? Are we willing to confess that we're not God? Are we willing to bow a knee and take a servant's role? I'm falling on my knees, offering what? All of me. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to bow a knee? Are we ready to embrace a life that honors and glorifies God? 
I hope we can say, yes, I do. I embrace my role. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. Because here's the thing. We can't take a message on giving until we learn what it means to want to be a part of the kingdom and say it's not about me. Because I can't give of myself. I can't give of my money. I can't give of my resources. I can't give of my time if it's all about me. Because I'm going to protect all that. Because if it's about me, I don't have time to serve God. If it's about me, I don't have the resources to give to God. If it's about me and what I want to accomplish in life and my pursuits of happiness, not holiness, I will never be able to give to God as I need to if it's about me. So we start the message this morning, we start the sermon this morning just saying, let's be real right now and ask the question, is it really about me? Is my life, my focus, my pursuits, is it really about me? Or am I willing to give all that up, to be a part of something bigger? Whatever the role is that God gives me, I will embrace it. And get rid of my selfishness so that I can be a part of something big. Last week I shared that we have to use the tools. If we're going to be committed, part of Christianity defined is that we grab the tools that we need. The most important one being God's word. And we grab that piece of equipment. And we can't move forward without it. That our number one piece of equipment, right? Our, our map, our guide in life. But then the next thing we do is now we just grab our equipment. Now we show up. We show up and we're a part of practice. If we want to use the terminology of being a part of a team, okay? So now we show up at practice. Now that could be church, it could be, you know, Bible study, whatever it may be, but I'm, I'm going to show up now at practice. Now if I'm a coach and I've coached uh, for many years, here's, here's the thing. I want two things from my athletes when they show up. And you can ask a lot. There's a lot of people. Matter of fact, I'm sort of curious. If you've coached, I don't care if it's t-ball. I don't care if it's high school or college. If you've coached in your life, could you just raise your hand? Just, I'm just sort of curious. Put it up nice and high and take a look around. Look at all the people who have coached. Oh, wait, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. If you're in a public school, you teach. Maybe not even a public school, a home school, whatever. You teach and you work with young people. Raise your hand, please. Okay, look at all his hands. Okay, hands down. Now, here's the thing, and I'm not going to put words into your mouth. But for me, being in those situations, here's the two things I wanted from those that I'm working with. Attitude and effort. Attitude and effort. That's all I want. If I was at practice or I was in a classroom and my students, my players showed up with an incredible attitude, positive attitude, okay, and incredible effort, I'm, I'm done for the day. I've, I'm like, this is, this is great. This is easy to coach. This is easier to teach because now they're bringing an awesome attitude and an incredible amount of effort. So I, I think about this again. If I'm on God's team and I'm, I want to be a part of his kingdom and I'm committing myself, I'm showing up before God and say, here I am, send me. I'm bringing that incredible attitude. I'm bringing that positive effort, right? A few years ago, I was at a camp up in Albion, Michigan. And um, they asked me to come up and be the chaplain for the week. So basically, here's my role. I'm there throughout the day to give spiritual guidance as needed, when needed. But my main role is that evening to speak at chapel to about 300 students. So throughout the day, and I've understood this over my years of ministry, is if I'm going to speak to these kids at camp, it's just a short time, here's the thing. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to care what I have to say unless I 
know who they are. So what I normally do when I go to a camp like that is then I just go and I plug myself wherever they need my help throughout the day as long as I'm rubbing shoulders with these kids and getting to know them. So I went to the gym. There was boys and girls basketball. There was wrestling. There was cross-country, soccer, boys and girls soccer, and football. And I thought, well, I'll go to basketball. That's probably the better of the things that I can do that I can relate to. And so I went to the gym, walked in, and there was a junior high and high school. And I was like, Coach, wherever you need me, I'm here for you today, this morning. Said, That's great. So they divided them all up, and then he looked at me and said, why don't you take this group over here? And it was juniors and seniors. Okay. So here's these upperclassmen. Most of them are from inner-city Detroit. Their zip code, by the way, is like the third most violent zip code in America. Just to give you background on these kids. Okay. I'm from northwest Ohio. Was yawn. Okay. These boys are from Detroit. So I'm saying, okay. So you're talking 6'4", 6'5", very athletic and very different looking than me, very different background than me. And I'm like, this is exciting. I love it. I mean, I don't care who you are, where you're from. I love doing ministry, especially with young people. Okay. So I'm ready to roll. And these guys are just sitting on the ground. It's like, all right, you guys ready to go? Let's go. We've got a drill we're going to do, and, and let's hop in. And, and right away, these big kids are looking at me like, what? It's like, you guys going to go in and get involved in here? And they're like, my knees hurt. Your knees hurt? We just started camp. It's day one. How can your knees be hurting already? You know, and, and here's the thing. Here's what I got. You know, I'll make a long story shorter. They had a rotten attitude and they had no effort. As a coach, what are the two things I'm looking for? Attitude and effort, right? They didn't want to give me either. So I'm looking at this. I'm going, this is going to be a long morning, right? Made it through. Had lunch. After lunch, I'm thinking, I'll go back to the gym, see where coach needs my help again. Coach, where do you want me this time? Junior high kids? You know, where do you want, you know, and he's like, you did such a good job for those kids this morning. Why don't you go back and work with them again? I'm thinking, oh, man. So I went back, worked with them again. It was all good. Day two comes around. I, I thought, let's give it one more shot. I'll go back to basketball today and um, see what they need my help, and then maybe I'll go to a different sport another day or whatever. So I went back to the gym. Same thing happened. Coach is like, you know what? You're doing a good job with those kids. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. No, and here's the thing. They're making me mad. And so if I'm mad, I can't get up in chapel and talk to these kids and be right with God. I, those two just aren't happening right now. And um, I didn't tell them that, but that's going on in my mind. So I worked with the kids at, before lunch. After lunch, I went to the soccer fields, okay? I know nothing about soccer, but I thought it's got to be better than working with those boys, right? But here's what happened. Because I wasn't getting... A positive attitude. I was getting no effort. I did not want to coach them. All, all I wanted were those two simple things. Had I gotten those two things, I think we would have had a great relationship. Now, there's a tremendous ending to the story, and I'll tell it another time. But here's the thing. In this whole situation, I wonder. I wonder, can you imagine how God feels when we're saying, yeah, we're showing up today. And we come in and we sit down. And we have no attitude towards excitement about worshiping God. And we put no effort forward in living for Jesus Christ. You wonder what God's thinking in those moments? I mean, because I put myself there. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, Christians gather every week in churches. And it's like those campers who showed up in the gym, right? And then they're, they're there. They're present in body. But not, maybe not so much in, in spirit. 
You know, they, they, they sit there just like you're sitting there, and they listen to the coach just like you're listening to me, and they're sort of like doing their time looking forward to lunch or the next meal, right? But the question is, how much effort is given after we say the amen? How many Christians gather on Sunday, sit in their chairs, listen to instructions, and then they never apply what they just heard? They just sit there and look at the pastor, and they say, well, I'd like to be more involved, but I can't because i got this or that going on. Now, now, church, listen to me. I'm not whining and complaining, but I'm saying this is where we are in America. We say we're a Christian, and we show up, just like those kids say, I'm a camper, and they showed up. But the question is, what did you do with it then? If we're on the team and we're expected to be present, we're also expected to participate, to be involved, to be engaged in one way or another. And one manner in which we participate as Christians is giving. That's just one of the ways that we show effort. That's one of the ways we show love. You know, it's that awesome topic of tithing. They're like, sweet, I was hoping we'd talk about tithing today at church, right? Truth is, we're all good at giving. We really are. So I would never come in here and say you're stingy people. I would never say that. I believe we're all really good at giving. I believe a lot of people across the globe is good at giving. The question is, what are we giving towards? Maybe that's what we got to ask. Are we good at giving towards the ministry which God's given us? Are we good at giving towards people in need? Are we good at giving towards ourselves? Do we give back as God says we should? You know, we, we, we define giving and we look at ways to measure obedience. So we start grabbing the Bible and say, okay, let's grab the equipment, right? How do we give? And so we start looking and we start searching. And we go to Old Testament. What does Old Testament say? Give a tenth. Give a tithe. Uh, I told Dan, I gave him a bunch of scripture. And I said, Dan, I'm probably going to jump away from everything that I just gave you. So here's the first one I'm jumping away from, okay? So go to Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's Old Testament right near the beginning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And in Deuteronomy chapter 14. So the thing is, it's like, okay, so God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to give? I want to be engaged. I want to have the right attitude. I want to give effort in all that I do. And God says, okay, well, let's start with money. Let's start with tithing. All right, God, what do you want me to do? So I go to the Old Testament, and I look in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And I start reading in verse 22, and it says this. You must set aside a tithe of your crop. So what's a tithe? Well, it's one-tenth. So one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year, bring this tithe to the, design, to the, I'm sorry, to the designated place of worship. Oh, so there's an actual place in. So I give one-tenth of what I have, and I take it to an actual place of where I worship, and I give it there. The place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. And eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes, to grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flock, herds. Do this, doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. And I was thinking about this. As I, was, I went down, I was reading in the notes, and it says this in my notes. The Bible makes the purpose of tithing very clear. First of all, it teaches us to fear the Lord and to put him first in our lives. 
It's as if, you know what? He's given me something, so the first thing I better do is give back to him. I mean, it's God. It's not the landlord. It's not my parent. It's God. Way above that, all that, right? And because I love God and I fear God, I'm going to give back to God. So I'm going to take a tenth of it. This is, again, what we were discovering here in Deuteronomy, right? So we're to give God the first and the best of what we earn. And then it talks about, well, for example, what do we do first with our money shows what we value most. So giving the first part of our paycheck to God immediately focuses our attention on Him. And I'm reading this in my notes saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It also reminds us that all we have belongs to Him. So a habit of regular tithing and giving can keep God at the top of our priority list and give us a proper perspective on everything else we have. So I'm reading that and I'm going, yeah. And then I thought about this. When I give, my offering, my giving is not just to honor God, but my giving continues the ministry of what I'm giving towards. See, they gave a tithe, the tenth, to the Levites, to the priests, so they can continue to offer that place of worship and help those who were leading worship. That was a part of it. And I remember this. I'll never forget this. It was back in 19... 92. Get my years straight to make sure. I believe that was the year Yes FM came on the air out of Toledo. That fall, I'd taken a group of teenagers to a music uh, convention or to a youth event in Cleveland. And we were there and they had a session on rock music and music we listened to and all kinds of stuff. And it was pretty amazing because a lot of us say, it doesn't matter what I listen to. I just... I just like the beat, right? I don't hear the lyrics. And so this guy that got up front, I mean, this was his job, right? He said, we're going to have a little contest here. Let's see who can finish the lyrics. And he'd start off a lyric, and he'd start it off. And right away, kids, like, raising his hand, what's it? And he would name off the lyric, toss him a sticker, candy bar, awesome. Hey, and he starts off another lyric, and somebody over here finishes it. And there he goes, a Milky Way. You know, he's just, it's like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, they're just, they're finishing the lyrics left and right. And then he goes, so, how many of you said, I don't listen to the lyrics, I just like the beat, right? Truth is, you're hearing the lyrics and you're memorizing them. So really, whatever you listen to, it's going in. I'm sitting there going, wow, that's, that's true. And then he went on to share more. And here's what this guy did. He was a part of understanding about everything we listen to and we invest in our lives with music. So he put a group up on the screen and say, here's a music group that a lot of people listen to, top ten. Here's what they do in the backstage. Oh, by the way, here's a few other lyrics of theirs. And, you know, everything's bleeped out. It's like, whoa, they said that? Will they do that backstage? Will they got that drug habit? And he's basically exposing all these music groups that we thought were awesome. And he said, and here's the deal. Every time you pull 10 bucks out of your wallet and you go buy their music, guess what you just did? You put 10 bucks into their pocket to continue this lifestyle. So you okay with supporting that lifestyle? I mean, as Christians, we don't agree with the use of drugs, pornography, and illicit sex, and language. But yet, we're okay taking money out of our pockets and putting the hands of those people to continue doing it. And then to make it popular for our children to listen to, so our children can get engaged in it, and they can be taken down to tubes of darkness. It just didn't make sense. I'm sitting there going, wow. So back in 1992, I I said, you know what? I've got to change up what I listen to. 
I no longer want to support that. My money, which isn't really mine, the money that I've earned, that God's blessed me with, that's his, I want to take his money and I want to use it the right way. I want to put it into the hands that's going to do good, not bad. So I had to be very careful with my entertainment with where my money was going. And and not just for me, what's going into my mind, but also that I'm supporting those what they're doing. So I think about this and why I share that is because biblically, when it first started off, it was, I'm taking what God's given me, I'm going to give back to him first, and it's going to the temple, it's going to the priest, it's going to be a part of my act of, as Rhonda said, it's an act of worship to give, because that was going to support what was going on in the temple, at the church at that time. Are you following me on this? So I thought, wow. So then you start to open up the Bible and say, okay, I want to know more about tithing and giving. So you start searching through. And he, but here's the thing. I want to think about the culture in which we live in. Because the, the culture in which we live in challenges us to not give back to God so much. To not tithe. Because again, let's go back to where this first started. If it's all about me, I'm looking at my world and what I want to take care of in my world financially. But if I want to be a part of God's kingdom, then that means my sight has got to be off of me. It's got to be out here now. God, where do you want me to give towards your kingdom? But we live in a time when we say this. Parents, how many of you said this? I want my children to have what I didn't have in growing up. Has anybody ever said that? Have you ever heard that? Don't raise your hands, okay? Have you ever said that or have you ever heard somebody say that? I hear it a lot. I've probably said it a lot too. And it's probably our attempt to respectfully improve on our mom and dad's parenting style, right? <clears throat> Maybe it's like, well, I don't like the way my parents really raised me, so I want my kids to have what I didn't have growing up. Maybe that's part of it, right? But you think through the last four generations of parents, we've always wanted to give our children the advantages and the luxuries to have what we've never enjoyed as kids. And that makes sense. I want my kids to have what I didn't have. But when we say that, as much as we may think, well, I want to give them more time, or I want to give them more attention, what does it really mean? I want to give them more stuff than I ever had, more opportunities to see things I've never seen. And I was doing a study, reading a study on this, and, and it talked about our intentions, how good they are. But here's the problem. That becomes a very materialistic, me-centered world when we start giving our kids everything that we didn't have. Because guess what our kids now expect? Everything. You're giving them everything that you never had, right? How did you get your stuff? You probably earned it. You probably worked for it. Your kids don't have to work for it and earn for it anymore. You just gave it to them. And the culture of generation kids grew up not having to work or their work ethic is a little scarred because things have been given to them. And if it's not given to them, then I'm just, I'm out of here. It's, it's a different culture and mindset and you have to think that through, right? And as I was studying this and looking to this more and more, I thought, you know what? We have two kingdoms in conflict. We have the kingdom of God that says, Give. And then we got the kingdom, our own little kingdom that says, get. It's about me, and I can't wait to get what I want to get, and I want to get it for myself, get it for my kids. And what does God's kingdom say? To give. So we got a couple kingdoms in conflict. 
So whenever we sit and listen to a pastor or open up the Bible, we have to understand we're raised in a culture that's all about ourselves and getting. And then we open up the Bible and we have a culture that talks about God's kingdom. It says giving. And now we have the conflict going on. And so now we start trying to figure this all out. And we walk out of here sometimes confused and dazed, wondering, so what am I supposed to do? Am I living for God or am I not? Or because we don't like what we heard because this current kingdom that we live in has so saturated us with this is the way it means to be an American, then now we think, well, that's the way Christianity should be. Or we don't want to listen to what the Bible Christianity has to say. Romans one twenty five says this, They traded the truth of God for a lie. So they worshiped the things served, the, the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Did you hear that? In Romans, Paul says this. He goes, listen, we've got a problem here. Mankind has traded truth for a lie. And here's the truth and here's the lie. We should worship the Creator, but here's the lie. We're going to we should worship the things that have been created instead. Stuff. Let's worship the stuff. What have I accumulated? What do I get? And we worship those things instead of worshiping God. And what's the result? What happens when we worship the things of the world? We have nothing in our hands to give back to God because we've grabbed it so much to worship it that we have nothing to give back to God because we've been doing this instead of doing this. So we have to ask ourselves, have we selfishly entitled ourselves to riches instead of giving back to God? If you were to answer this question, how would you answer it? Do you say, I deserve it, or do you say, he deserves it? How would you answer that? Well, I deserve. Or does he deserve? How would you answer that? You know, money doesn't make us significant, but for some reason we've, we've bought into this lie. And again, before I talk about tithing and giving, we've got to understand the culture we live in. We, we think that, you know, what I have makes me who I am. You might disagree with me on this, but let me give you an example. A few years ago, my, my nephew um, was looking for some bunk beds. We were done with our bunk beds. And so we said, let's tear them down. Let's take them apart. Let's haul them over to Indiana and give them to my nephew. So I called up a guy in, in, in our church, and he had a nice truck. And he's like, can we, you know, we talked about borrowing the truck. Said, yeah, absolutely. So he let us borrow his truck to haul this bunk bed, all this material, over to Indiana. Let me tell you something. With, with what I drive, I've always liked a big truck. Okay, so I'm getting in this guy's big truck, and I'm like, "This is awesome." Okay, because I've, I've never had a truck that big. I had those little S10s, you know, those little, little ones. But and I got this big truck, and I'm driving down the road. Here's the thing: I'm coming back from Indiana. It's unloaded. As I'm driving back in that big truck, I'm like, "Yeah, I am the king of the road." <laughs> I'm driving by these little cars, and it's like, I'm bigger than you. Okay, now I didn't say that, but I'm telling you, I was thinking it. Okay. There is something about being in that vehicle that caused me to make me feel like I was better. Stuff does that. Oh, I've got, you know, whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's money in my pocket. Sometimes when we have this stuff, it changes how we feel. Don't tell me it doesn't, okay? Because I know, you know, you're sitting there saying, you get a brand new outfit or new shoes or something, you feel good about yourself, right? You're like, oh, I feel so good until you look at the store and like, oh, I need more, right? Or you look at somebody else like, oh, I like that. And then we have to have more. Why? To make us feel better. But here's the problem. That's a lie we bite into. 
stuff does not make us significant. Our Savior does. Because we have to ask that question, when is enough enough? It never is. It never is. So here's what happens. We become attached to this world at, not the hip, but at the wallet, okay? So how do we become unattached from this world? How do we learn to be more generous? How do we learn to give? Well, we discover this in God's words that generosity is what separates us from the world. You want to escape this meism and this, it's about me and I want this and that. We learn from Jesus Christ and being on his team that we learn to be generous. We use his equipment and we discipline ourselves. So we learn to give back. Scripture demands it. 2 Corinthians, I think we have this one, Dan. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I'll read this to you. In the second uh, letter written by Paul to the Corinthians, there's a passage, chapter 8 and chapter 9, where he talks about the, the tithe that he was helping with his church and the church in another city that they were working together. It was an incredible thing. And he said this to the people in Corinth. He said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Paul didn't say, hey, because here's again, Old Testament, New Testament. New, Old Testament was one-tenth tithe, first fruits. The first thing, you know, boom, you give to God, right? New Testament is sort of different because now it's sort of like, okay, New Testament's pointing to Jesus Christ. And he says, how do we give? Well, let's start with how, how did God give? For God so loved the world that he gave, right? Love compels us to give. The love of God said, I'm compelled, I'm giving you my son, so as we read through the New Testament, we find different phrases or different verses about giving. And a lot of it is reflected off of what? Off of the love of God. And Paul says, hey, you decide in your heart how much you should give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I'll tell you right now, if I'm at a, at a church, at a concert or somewhere, and the guy gets up front and says, hey, you need to give. And he starts telling me the amount that I need to give. Here's the first thing that happens to me. I just tighten up. I'm like, don't you tell me how much to give. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm a, I get a little anxious sometimes when we, as a, we have a church thing going on, you know, to raise money for a new building. I'm not saying, hey, you know, if every church member in here gave X amount of dollars, you know, what's God laying on your heart to give? If you're giving out of love and you're giving what God wants you to give, you're being obedient, praise God. But if somebody's pounding and saying, you need to give X amount of dollars or you're a bad Christian, shame on them. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly, like, I don't know. Don't give a response to the person, like, I better give. How does it say to give? To give as God leads you. To give cheerfully. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And you read on in verse 13, it says, As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. When we give, we give out of obedience. And we give out of obedience, we're following his word. And people will step back and say, wow, that Christian, that person who claims to love Jesus, truly is just giving. They are being obedient. They're giving not because man said, but because God says. And that's why I love it when, we, when we've had, um, in the past, we did our building fund, an overflow. I heard different couples and different people say, I prayed about it, my spouse prayed about it. And then we're like, how much do you think we should give? And then they shared it was the same number. 
Now, I, I love hearing those stories. And I hear a lot of people say, I want to pray about this before I give. Good. Talk to God about it. God, how much should I give? And then give. Here's the thing. We're citizens not of this world, but of His kingdom. So that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19, He said, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures up where? In heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then he goes on to say this, No man can serve two masters. For you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is saying, listen, you can't be living in a me-centered world and say you're living in God's kingdom. You can't say that, oh, I want this for me and I want to accumulate this and I want to do this and sit over here and say, oh, but it's all about God. It's all about Those are two different kingdoms. And we battle it every day. I battle it every day. Do I save this dollar? Do I spend this dollar? Do I give it away? Do I use it for me? And we budget. We try to figure that out. We ask God, where, how should we use this? How should we spend it? This year we, got, we actually got tax money back for the first time in I don't know how many years. We're like, we get something back? Usually we got to pay in, right? It's like, well, we get some back. It was no, it was no uh, argument at all. 10% is what we felt right away. Let's give a portion of it right away. Boom, off to God. That's what we're going to do. There's no argument. We pray about times like, well, how much should we give to this? Why do we do that? Because we can only serve one master. And if I'm serving God, I've got to talk to him. God, it's your money to begin with. What do I need to be doing with it? So much to be said about money and giving. And I will say this. You know, I keep referring back to a sermon that Pastor Landon preached on probably now a month ago about living a transformed life. And here's what I do know, that when our lives are transformed for Jesus Christ, everything changes. At least it starts rolling into change. And I think of the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man and the wee little man was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, right, to see Jesus. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's this tax collector. It was all about him. It was all about his life. He was taking money that didn't belong to him. And he was living this nice, luxurious life. Everybody hated him because they knew what he did. You knew what he stood for, right? But when Jesus came to town, what happened to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus like, I want to get a... I want to get a glimpse of this Jesus. I want to see what he's like. So he climbed that tree because nobody would let him through to see Jesus. So he climbed that tree, gets up in the tree, and gets up above to be able to look at Jesus and to hear what Jesus has to say. He's seeking out Jesus, right? And what does Jesus say? I want you to come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. He's like, what? Jesus goes to his place? Jesus, do you know what kind of person he is? He steals. He cheats. He takes things that doesn't belong to him. He's greedy. It's all about him. It's a me-centered world. And Jesus says, I'm about ready to change that. And Jesus goes to his house. And that day, the life of Zacchaeus is changed because Zacchaeus discovers new life in Jesus Christ. And what's the first thing that Zacchaeus says? Jesus, I'm giving back not just what I took, but more. As soon as his life was transformed and changed by Jesus Christ, what did he do? It was no longer about him anymore. I'm going to take what wasn't mine and give that back. I'm going to take some of mine and I'm going to give that too. And I'm going to keep giving because my life has changed. 
Acts chapter 2 talks about the new believers, what they did. Matthew 19 talks about the rich young man, what he did. As you read through Scripture, we discover that when your life is changed and it's no longer a me-centered world and Christianity is divine correctly, giving is part of that transformed life. Giving is saying it's no longer about me. Giving is saying this belongs to God. I'm giving it back. God, how much do you want me to give? Oswald Chambers said this, The destiny in a man is not happiness. It's not health, but holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men of pity. He came to save men because he created them to be holy. Holiness requires us to separate ourselves from things, but also requires us to separate ourselves to something. So to be holy, to be a Christian... I need to separate myself from the, the, the self-saturated world, the meism, the greediness, and separate myself to God who gives, who loves. Holiness requires that. If you remember that song, if you're happy and you know it, what? Clap your hands, right? Now let's, uh, worship team, come on up. We're not saying it, but worship team, come on up here. Um, but the last part of the song is, if you're happy and you know it, what's, what does it say? Then your what? Face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, turn around, do all that kind of stuff. Okay, but here's the thing. I love that song because it says, if you're happy and you know it, because your face will surely show it. You got Jesus Christ in your life, guess what? Your face will surely show it, right? If you got Jesus Christ in your life, your life will surely show it. People will know that you're a Christian. Not because you checked it off in the little check mark that said, I'm a Christian. Or you wore a Christian t-shirt. It's not because of the label. It's going to be because of what they see in your life exemplified. They see Jesus living through you. They see you being generous in how you treat others, how you love others, how you give. Giving is a part of what we do as Christians. Next week, we move on to another thing of defining Christianity. But I would be reluctant as a pastor if I never stood up in front of you and said, you know what, I really don't want to talk about giving because I don't want you to think that we're a greedy church or anything like that. Jesus talks about giving all the time. To not talk about it is to avoid the truth in the Scriptures. So we talk about it. And we pray about it. We don't avoid it. We embrace it. God, I want to be a part of something big in your kingdom. I want to be a part of something big. To be a part of something big means I'll take a lesser role. I'll do whatever you want me to do. So we take that. We say, it's not about me. It's about you. If it's about you, how do you want me to live for you? You want me to give? I'll give. What do you want me to give? And we pray about that. We do it joyfully. We maybe write a check or put cash in the blessings box. We do it joyfully. It's like, man, it's a to give. You know, I can't think of it any better well said than what you said, Rhonda, is when you're seeing and you look at these kids in that building and you think they're having class, they're learning about Jesus, you hear them singing songs, you hear them laughing and talking about how they're going to live for faith. And it's like that check, that cash, that giving goes further than you understand. You can joyfully give and say something awesome is happening because I gave. We give joyfully. Because why? Because God generously gave to us. He generously gave to us. For God so loved you that he gave you his one and only son, Jesus Christ. We give.
because we love. We give because it represents Jesus Christ. We give because that's how we define Christianity as well. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for truth. God, there's no way we can talk about giving in 40 minutes. There's just no way. Because your Bible has so, your word has so much to say about it. From Old Testament to maybe percentages to New Testament where it says everything. God, we know this. If we're going to be a part of your kingdom, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we are givers. It's not about us. It's not about what we accumulate. The vehicle I drive, the house I live in, the clothes I wear does not make me significant or valuable. My value is in your son, Jesus Christ. My worth is in you. So as Christians, we thank you for how you've blessed us. We are rich, not just financially. We are rich spiritually. You've given us so much. So God, we're going to give back to you. We're going to give back to you by how we live, by what we give, by how we treat people. We're just going to be generous people and give back. It's our act of worship. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In thy name we pray.